Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Sales friends, we're not saving lives. Take a breath and keep perspective as we round the corner to the end of the quarter. This is from a LinkedIn post that Dave Kennett, CEO and founder of Replays, shared. He goes on to talk about how he was a crazy intense sales leader before, but learned that life was just too short for that. And he sums it up by saying, do your best. That's all that matters. Dave shares how his experience as a sales leader led him to starting replays. Coaching is so critical to revenue growth. We all know that. But how do we do coaching right? And how do we even find the time? Please take a listen to this episode of the Revenue Engine Podcast and learn from this sales leader turned CEO and founder of a business that is changing how companies are helping their sales teams up-level their discovery and demo game, resulting in improved close rates, faster sales cycles, and larger deals. So super excited to be here with Dave Kennett, the CEO and founder of Replays. For those of you who may not be familiar with Replays, Replays helps inside sales account executives up-level their discovery and demo game, resulting in improved close rates, faster sales cycles, and larger deals. And this can all be done remotely to help busy sales reps and sales leaders learn in a way that fits their schedule. So welcome, Dave, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to unpack your story and really learn more about you and how your team are really changing the way revenue leaders are doing coaching. Thanks, Rosalind. Really appreciate you inviting me on. Looking forward to our chat. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey before Replays, right? You've had a long career in a number of sales leadership roles in various industries and different companies. So can you share maybe some of your background and some of the things you've done in the revenue world? For sure. When I first got out of university, I jumped into a tech startup and this was back in the dot-com days. Super exciting, wild, wild west. What a fun time to start my career. What, what a poor time to start my career in terms of managing expectations. Like my salary <laughs> was probably double what it should have been. I'm just like, hey, why don't you just go run this department over here, which was biz dev. And I'm like, okay, cool. What does that even mean? And, you know, but, but through that, I was able to really, really go out and, and help bash down some doors for that company for three and a half years. It was called WorldBid. And we did some pretty exciting deals with some, you know, large brand names. That really gave me my enthusiasm for business development and sales. And, you know, someone said to me, hey, like, go big business early, learn on their dime, and, and, and then go out and do startup world. So I actually took that advice. And certainly, I know a lot of people who haven't taken that advice, and they've, you know, been doing amazing in their career. But that happened to be my path. I ended up with a company called WW Granger, you know, multi-billion dollar organization, and learned really good. I think that's where I really started getting an affinity for sales process and training. And that's where I got my first 
chops from a sales leadership perspective. I look back and think, man, I don't think I would have wanted to have reported to me back then because <laughs> I've learned a lot since then, you know, and, and I, and then from there moved on to auto trader was there for three and a half years where I was director of sales and helped lead through the print to digital transformation in that uh, company and the, the sort of what the, the, the macroeconomic environment was like where the whole industry was going print to digital. And, and that was a terrific experience. And then I went back for the last decade to working with startups and I would uh, usually be, you know, head of sales and really vested in the organization and really try and take it from, you know, stage A to B and B to C. And, you know, some of those worked out amazingly well and, and some not so much. We either didn't have product market fit or ran out of money or what have you. And every single one of those were just a fantastic learning along the way. That was my pre-replays executive summary, I guess. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I, I kind of stood... Uh, started the same way where kind of worked in big companies first and then went to startups. But yeah, I have seen sort of the other way as well, but it's really kind of helped my, my toolbox, if you will, of things that I can kind of pull from. I can imagine. So two and a half years ago, you started Replays. So what was your original vision for the company and how has that evolved, right, if at all, over the past two years, especially with the year like we had in 2020? You know, I, thinking back to my vision, I, I think first and foremost, it started with, is this problem we're trying to solve one that's just in my head as a sales leader, or is this actually widespread? And so initially it was, hey, have we actually got product market fit here? And, and I think that's, I can thank my experience with other startups on that, where we'd go too far down a path and invest way too much money and hire too many people before actually having product market fit. And you know, so we, we tested it out with a few companies first. And that is the whole concept. Of the top coaching and sales cultures in the world do call reviews probably once a week for reps, right? And this is kind of, as we know, this unofficial pact between, or official, between a sales leader and a sales rep that, hey, I'm going to help you progress in your career. I'm going to do it through impactful one-on-ones, exposure I give you in the organization, and the career path plan we put together for you, but also I'm going to help you level up in your day job, right? From going from junior AE to, you know, senior AE, going from mid of the pack and the leaderboard to the top, and then going to team lead, etc. And a meaningful part of that development that we're not seeing in uh, a lot of high growth SaaS companies, despite their best efforts, is call reviews, right? You've got companies that record calls, they're using Gong, Chorus, or just recording Zoom calls. And if they're like me, I was a, a vice president of sales of a tech organization, had a few, a couple of directors, a few managers, and a bunch of reps. And I probably kept everyone too darn busy to actually make time to review calls. And that's what I was trying to solve for when I thought of replays. I'm like, oh, what kind of company could come in and just do these call reviews for us? Because they learn enough about our sales motion, our buyer journey, uh, average deal size to actually be you know, effective at this. And that's where we realized, okay, wait, there, there really is an, an opportunity here. And I think that was where once we tested this with a few customers on a paid basis, that's a, I know there's a lot of leaders that listen to this podcast and they can probably relate that you can't really test something for product market fit if it's free. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you, you got to charge for it because, mm -hmm. you know, anyone's going to pay for something free or, or agree to something free. So our very first customer, we charged and, and then every customer thereafter. 
and we got a lot of really good feedback, you know, obviously found areas where we can iterate along the way. And that's where I guess to, you know, a long answer to your question of my vision for the company then became quite bold. It's like, we want to change the way training takes place in tech and in tech sales. And, you know, you and I have both been in a ton of training in our life. And I don't know about you, I'll walk out of it and I've learned a lot from all that training, but half of it just leaves my brain the minute I walk out the door. <laughs> and the way we review calls every two or three weeks for sales reps makes it just little, it, it drives accountability, it builds muscle memory, it, it allows sales leaders to have more time back in their calendar. So the lofty vision is we want to be the go-to for all the high growth SaaS companies in the world. That's the lofty vision. And we're off to a, a roaring start, I think in the first two and a half years but we ain't anywhere close to <laughs> reaching that vision yet. We've got a long ways to go, but you have to have something aspirational, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So with the shift to more and more individuals working remotely, there's a requirement not only for sellers to adjust the way that they sell, but also for sales leaders, right, to adjust the way they onboard and coach. So what have you seen in terms of changes in the market in this area and how has this affected your business? You know, unfortunately, we haven't seen enough change as a result of that. It's I mean, it's been great for our business, you know, and in terms of people moving to remote, you know, as, as horrible as COVID is and what the first year and a half was. But what we found is that leaders and sales reps really did struggle to adapt on keeping their culture intact keeping the key learnings intact, making helping people feel connected, but also helping them thrive and grow and build a coaching environment. And we have a deep respect for a ton of the methodologies out there, like Challenger, Sandler, Miller Hyman. We think they're great. What Replays is, is a set of best practices. And it's a set of best practices that we've put together after watching literally thousands of discovery calls, demos, closing calls, uh, right up to enterprise strategic level with customers like IBM, right down to emerging markets teams with customers like Vidyard, and then in between with customers like Outreach.io. And what we found is to build a coaching culture remotely is a challenge. And to get your field sellers to adapt to a remote motion is challenging. So often, even now, a year and a half later after COVID first hit, we've got sellers who are not, they've got a, a dark background or they're not even using their video at all when they're zooming in to their customers. Mm -hmm. They're um, not really uh, doing an effective job at engaging everyone on the prospect side. They're, you know, the principles that you would want to use if you were in the office or a boardroom with your prospect or customer, they all still apply when you're selling remotely, but we find that a lot of those principles are thrown out the window. That, those are some of the areas that I think, you know, people really struggled with and, and still do. And, and that's, you know, so that's where we get, we get a nice bird's eye view of that because we, we've got so many awesome customers who are challenged with not getting around to their high growth. They can't possibly coach their customers or sorry, their, their, their new reps as much as they'd like because they're in high growth mode and they're hiring or they're doing a good job coaching and onboarding the new reps, but they don't have time to mind the shop for their, their current reps. And, and I think bandwidth, I think if I could summarize the meta point here, it's lack of bandwidth that was pre COVID and during COVID, but during COVID it was a lot of the coaching slipped. And it's like, well, now that they're not in an office and they're not in this sort of 
sellers sitting next to each other in the sales pit, so to speak, yeah, I guess we're going to lose that aspect of it. When really, you know, you can have them doing role plays with each other each day and analyzing each other's calls and that kind of thing. Got it. Got it. So, so you touched on this a little bit. You talked about how the fact that, you know, you get to, you have an opportunity to work with so many different companies, right? And, you know, what are you seeing kind of sales leaders doing right from a coaching perspective and some of the things that they're doing wrong? And you touched a little bit on this around, you know, just having bandwidth and resources and maybe being a little creative in terms of how they do the coaching. What are some of the other things? Well, it starts with the sales managers that, that as a director or VP that you hire. Uh, if you hire a sales manager that is experienced and coaching driven, those are the ones that are seeing a lot of success. Of course, we know that in this high growth environment and with all this VC money being pumped into organizations, uh, there's, uh, you know, I can't, we, all the folks listening, I'm sure can relate that you can't hire people fast enough. And with that, you've got a lot of individual contributors that were your top sales rep people are throwing into sales manager role. We all know that that story doesn't always end well. Or maybe you get someone that that is a really good seller as an individual contributor. Their attributes check out for the core two or three or four things you need in your sales leader role, but they're still green, right? They still, you know, just like I was when I was a sales manager. And so they either don't have a, a framework to coach to, or they shy away from the coaching and they just don't do it. And that, and then senior leaders, that's a metric often they're not inspecting. They're not putting in their performance objectives. I would ask all the folks that are listening, do, do your sales managers have call recording review objectives? I one review per rep per week or per rep every couple of weeks. And I think some will answer, heck yeah. And those folks are probably doing really well. The ones that don't, you're not alone. That's probably 80 to 90%. We know that the average sales rep gets call coached between eight to 12 weeks, uh, one, one call every eight to 12 weeks. That's not going to create meaningful change. And so uh, my quick answer is you have to enable your sales leader. We know in this high growth environment, you can't throw someone in there that's been in a SaaS organization for 10 years leading sales teams. Either they aren't out there in the market or you can't afford them uh, or you don't want to pay that much. And that's cool. It's okay, what do we do then? We enable our sales leaders and we free up their time to be great coaches. And it's that equation that's tough. And that's, that's why people are reaching out, out to replay. So that, that'll be one. I think the other is once you've got a good framework for your discovery, your demo and your close, and a lot of companies don't, <laughs> which is the other area we help. But, but once you, you know, a lot of companies are, are really doing the best with the resources they have. Okay, uh, a sales leader will say, all right, based on my last three positions as a sales leader, this is what we did for discovery. This is what we did for a demo. And usually that'll get it 80% right. But of course, there's a lot of nuances there. And so that's where we're able to help out and, and help them understand of these thousands of calls we reviewed of some of the highest growth, well-known SaaS brands out there. Here are the two or three things that ingredients that you're missing to help drive a better close rate. And once you've got the framework, there's no point in coaching if you don't have a good framework to coach to, right? So I think establishing, so to summarize, 
getting the right sales leader in there, getting them enabled and trained, then ensuring that there's a solid framework for them to coach to. And by that, I mean, what does a good discovery look like? What are the questions you're asking? How do you go to level two, level three pain? What are the three customer stories you're going to share in a 45 minute call? Because we know one customer story isn't enough. Social proof is so important. When you, you know, at the end of the call, are they going to get a next meeting on the books, assuming that the prospect's interested? And is that a best practice? And if so, how are you coaching to that? And then the next layer, of course, is how do we reinforce that with the reps as a sales manager, sales leader? And that's where I think as it, for the CROs that are listening and VPs of sales, or let's say a CEO of an early stage company, maybe you don't have a VP of sales right now. I think it's super important to ensure that your team, that call reviews are happening, that what is being discussed on those calls are to a framework that you're comfortable with and that there's enough discovery being done. That's the one area it won't be a surprise to the folks listening, but that is the one area that we see reps failing at the most. And that is one of the biggest leading indicators is whether you're going to close a deal. Did you really understand what that prospect needs? And are you customizing your presentation to it? Because one test that all the leaders that are listening to, uh, right now can do, if you haven't had a chance to jump in and do call reviews, go pick 10 reps, watch all, or ask your sales manager to watch 10 reviews from each of them. If they all look the same, you're doing it wrong. Uh, because it's about customizing what the customer tells you and then, or the prospect tells you, and then really customizing that last 20, 30 minutes on the call where you're uh, more on the solutioning side and not just doing a big feature dump of A to Z, but if they're like, oh, A and B is super important to me, then spend 80% of the time on A and B. And then finally, I know this is a long-winded answer and I apologize, but I just feel so passionate about this and, you know. No, this is great. This is great. The, 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 well, the final Super part. helpful. The final part is is enable your reps. Take your best reps, and have them peer coach to that framework that you build. Ask them to do reviews, and then ultimately you want to get to a stage where you give the framework to your whole team, and you say, "I want you to actually do an assessment of yourself." And in our weekly one-on-ones, I want to see how you did. Here, are, here's the scorecard I put together for you. Here are the 15 must-haves in your presentation. And let's see a self-assessment. Then you're multiplying yourself as a leader. Those would be my, my three mm-hmm. biggest, I think, levers I would recommend for sales leaders to take their coaching game to the, to the next level without bringing on a company like, like Replays. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really good advice and not long-winded at all. Super helpful. <laughs> so, uh, so as part of Replays beliefs, you mentioned that sales is part, of, part art and part science. You also touch on how you believe in a different way to train sales leaders and sales reps through, you know, muscle memory, accountability, process, which I love as an ops person, and human connection. So can you share more about that philosophy and how this makes replays offering unique? Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to try and answer that without making it sound like an infomercial for replays because I I really don't... (laughs) I never, ever want to come across that way in any of these. It's really, I want to just drive as much value as I can from my learnings back to your audience that are listening. Art and science, you know, the way I look at that is the science piece is, it is data-driven. It's once you've built the framework that you think aligns correctly to the average deal size and buyer journey, then you've got your level set of what you can evaluate or coach your reps against. And that's going to change if it's, you know, we work with a number of leading organizations that have 
huge teams and they'll have their emerging markets team, SMB, mid-market, enterprise, and strategic. Well, that checklist is going to vary by each one, of course. In your emerging markets, folks, you want them to be high velocity. You don't want them to overqualify. You want them to qualify out opportunities that really aren't going to go anywhere very, very quickly because velocity is the name of the game. Whereas in an enterprise motion, of course, it's much different, much more customized, a lot more detail in the discovery and multi-threaded approach even more uh, than you would in a smaller deal and that kind of thing. So I think it's about what are the data points you want to measure? And of course, you know, from a key indicator perspective, I would be looking at the reps in terms, and you like this from a RevOps perspective, I guess, is, you know, each stage of the factory. So if something's, if a if rep's not doing well, you can zoom in very quickly to each stage being, you know, what's my SAL to uh, SQL ratio, or even take it back, what's my MQL to SAL? What's my sales accepted lead to sales qualified lead? What's sales qualified lead to op? Some companies call those the same thing, and that's fine in my opinion. And then what's your average sales cycle time? What's the win rate? And then what's the average order size? If you can evaluate each of those metrics, you're going to really be able to diagnose very quickly where where the weaknesses are happening, right? If sales cycle is taking way too long, maybe they're not good at keeping momentum going through accountability and you know follow-up email with here are the owners of the various tasks we talked about today, here's the timeline, etc. So and, and then that you know that's specific to you know key performance metrics in terms of actually looking at is there sales process solved, what they're saying on the phone. Well, that's where you can do a checklist and that's where replace comes in as well in terms of looking at, you know, what we do is we listen to calls kind of like we listen to call recordings, just like an NFL coach would do after game day. They're looking at all the tapes, but we jump in just like, you know, our kids out there that have all their favorite YouTubers and YouTubers on the top right of the screen. Well, that's what our replays coach does, right? (laughs) We've got senior leaders from SaaS companies that evaluate these based on our hundred best practices. And they'll, if, if let's say someone gets that dreaded question, shouldn't be a dreaded question, but it is, where they're two minutes into a discovery and the, the prospect says, okay, yeah, yeah, I don't need a discovery. I don't need the pitch. What's your pricing? That startles a lot of reps. And like 80% of the time, I'm going to say they don't handle it well. So the question is, what is your best practice for that? And then being able to actually, going back to the data, being able to say, all right, here's our four-step process for that. Did the rep do it? yes or no, or is it red, yellow, green? They kind of did it because they got two out of the four steps. That's the data part. I think the, the art, of course, there's tone. There's your ability to connect. There's how you make your prospect feel. We all know that when, I mean, you, you know, if you think of the last buying decision that you made, it's probably partly left brain in terms of, okay, how did everything work out there? It's probably partly emotional. Did this person, did I, do I trust this person? You, you probably made an informed, like uh, a quick decision on that in the first 20 seconds of, of your call. And that part is, is, can be learned, but some people come across that more naturally. And I, I love this example. I, I was proven wrong. I was proven wrong early in my tenure at Replays here, where we had a rep that was on a PIP. And this person was on a performance improvement plan. The, you know, we have executive check-ins with our customers once a month where we're talking to the senior leadership about their framework and how we're supporting the reps and we're kind of thinking partners for them. And they asked about this one rep and they said, you know, do you think this person is going to make it? And I said, well, 
you've got way more data points than me. But just based on these calls we reviewed, I think they're really going to have to follow our best practices to get there. And I think it's going to be a challenge, but we're going to support the heck out of this person and see what they can do. And six months later, I kid you not, the person was the, the top rep. They closed, they had an annual quota. They closed their annual mm-hmm. quota by March and their count, they were a normal calendar year. So Q1, he'd already hit his quota and it was just super impressive. And this person always, like, I always knew they were high, like high potential, but what I was curious about was would the, if they just applied the science right? Can it work? And uh, it turns out they're a very affable person anyway and very bright. But they, when I looked at, I wanted to do a, a quick study and be like, okay, I want to analyze the calls that led this person to crushing their quota one quarter in when they were on a PIP six months before that. And I took our replace checklist and sure enough, they hit every single point pretty much. I mean, maybe they were off by 10%, but they became a model student of our best practices. And that you know, I thought art played a much higher role. I'm realizing now, I realized then that yes, it is science, which only underpins our value even more because we're coaching to a scalable, repeatable framework. And, uh, you know, so that, that would be my, that would be my, my answer on that one. Okay. That's great. I love that story too. So you touched a little bit about the hundred best practices can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we, you know, back to the science part. Uh, the question is in, in, that we had to ask ourselves, are there commonalities among high growth SaaS organizations that have a similar ACV? Let's say it's a 50K average deal size. And let's say that the average sales cycle is three months. If I've got 20 companies that I, we're coaching, that our, our team of coaches are coaching, and they've all got, you know, apples to apples in terms of deal size, et cetera, you know, average sales cycle and sort of buyer, buyer journey. We get the win rate data from pretty much all of our customers. And so, cause we don't want anyone spending a dollar with us unless they're going to get a return, which is thankfully why uh, we've got such a high renewal rate. And I wanted to understand what were the commonalities between the top reps? What did they do really well? And what are some of the things that they, when they, you look at their closed loss deals, why was it? Reps love to put product roadmap or it was out of my control, but we like to analyze what, <laughs> what were the forced errors? What were the unforced errors? And what we learned is we can really draw a series of best practices that work for each segment of sales, whether it be high velocity, three to 8,000 ACV, right up to million plus deals with IBM, who's a customer of ours, right? And, and then we templated those into our 100 best practices. And it's everything from, you know, how do you tell a customer story in under one minute? Because we, we see reps not using social proof enough. And they'll do things like, they'll talk to their, their prospect, like, oh yeah, we've got a great uh, customer story there. It's a case study from marketing. I'll send it to you. And it's like, wait, they're not going to open that. <laughs> That's number one. Uh, and number two, like you're paid a lot of money as a sales professional to be a great communicator back to the art and actually communicate that. But back to the science, it's, yeah. it's, then we see reps communicating it where they take five minutes to tell a story and you're, you're burning four minutes unnecessarily. It should take one minute to tell a customer story. Or we, we see them just reference a brand like I just did a minute ago. Oh, IBM's a customer. Okay, that's great. But 
that that doesn't tell me that it's a similar use case to mine. Therefore, it's given you some brand credibility, Dave, but it hasn't hasn't given me a reason to actually go with you. It doesn't speak to my use case. And and so that's where part of our 100 best practices, we've got four of them that talk about how do you get great customer stories instead of waiting for marketing or customer success to feed them to you because they're really busy in high growth environments. And I bet you the folks that are listening can really relate to this. And I'm sure you can as well. <laughs> it, it's just, we, we wait too long sometimes for someone else to do our work. And it's like, hey, just ask your sales leader if you can call three happy customers and just say, What's your experience been with us? Love to understand, you know, what quantifiable return you've had. And the little sound bites they'll give you, you can turn into your own little customer story right there. And, and so we've got a hundred things, everything from each stage of the call of here's how you build rapport. Here's how you do introductions, you know, in a presentation, here are the top five things that the lowest performing reps do. Here are the top three things, the best reps that have the highest win rates do. And that's everything from customer stories to doing a meaningful check-in every minute and a half instead of just asking, hey, any questions or, you know, make sense? It's like ask a meaningful open-ended question right through to the close of really having respectful but challenging conversations on whether this is the right fit. That's a quick overview on why our 100 best practices exist because there absolutely should be um, a level set of of data that's repeatable and scalable. And you can't do that if it's just ad hoc. And, and these, these have been proven now time and again. That's great. That's amazing. I love that. And, you know, as you're talking about some of the examples, I'm thinking about the last few calls I had with vendors <laughs> and how they ask, they do ask those questions like, does that make sense? Any questions, you know, instead of being more specific? Yeah. Those are really informative, aren't they? I know I learn a lot from them and, and I hate to say it, as you can imagine, there's a lot of pressure on me when I'm selling for the organization because they want to be like, like if I do a poor job of that, they're like, okay, and your, your company's coaching me. What I find informative in listening to vendor pitches is sometimes I will see things that in them that I actually do, and I didn't realize it before. I do poorly, and, and I realized how it made me feel, and I think that's a great exercise for teams to go through. If you're a, a senior leader listening to this, ask, you know, appoint one of your team members to choose that next item in your tech stack and, and form a little committee. And I know it's going to take time away from selling, but the, the meta point is maybe it's two or three hours over a three-week period, but they're listening to other vendors pitch and they're picking, picking up the good things and, and the bad things. And they might actually force them to look in the mirror and be like, okay, I actually do that <laughs> thing really well, but that thing, not so much. Yeah. I love that. So, so as I think about the revenue engine, right, in this podcast, I always hope that others will be able to learn how to accelerate revenue growth and really power, right, the revenue engine. I think we've talked about a lot of different things that are really helpful that I think um, folks who are listening are going to be able to go back and actually implement right away. But from your perspective, you know, what are the top maybe two or three things that you think revenue leaders should be thinking about today to really help to drive and grow revenue? I think they, and I think probably most folks listening to this are already doing this part, but really being rigorous around analyzing performance indicators, the, the you know, the, the, there's the leading indicators of, hey, I'm listening to a call and I'm seeing these behaviors from a rep. And it's very likely that because they're following this framework, it's going to lead to a higher close rate. And, oh, they're not following the framework. It'll lead to a, a lower close rate. A lot of us leaders aren't looking at that. We're looking at the lagging indicator of just simply win rate or average sales cycle time or average order size. 
and those have to be looked at. But when they're not up to par, the question is, what are the leaders doing about that? And I think too often we think, well, this rep sucks or this rep, are they going to make it? Or, you know, when really we need to be looking at ourselves as leaders and to our frontline leaders and asking, what have we done to support the hell out of these people over the last few months? And have we held up this unofficial contract of I'm going to get you to that next step? And what that looks like is, yes, informative one-on-ones, which often I see that a high index is put on, are my sales managers having meaningful one-on-ones with my reps, uh, our reps? And, and that is important. And what's discussed in there is important in terms of the rep feeling accountable to pipeline, the rep feeling supported, the leader removing blockers. But the overlooked part, more often than not, is are calls being reviewed? Are they being reviewed by someone who feels confident that in their coaching ability? And that's where we coach the coach with most of our customers. And are they actually coaching to a framework for success? To me, those are these sort of dark sort of in the broom closet blind spots that we probably, all the folks listening are probably know they're there, but we always have what we feel are higher priorities. And what we've learned is that of the companies, like our customers that really emphasize supporting the team in how to navigate through a a framework of a call that you've laid out and navigate it through successfully and build muscle memory, those lagging indicators are going to look freaking awesome, right? Every single one of our customers, the average win rate goes up, order size definitely goes up, sales cycle time usually goes down. Those would be, you know, those would be some of the things that if I were a senior leader on here, I'd really be wanting to have, uh, jump off this call, have a meaningful conversation with my sales manager saying, hey, Am I supporting you enough with what you need to have time to coach this team? And what is the framework you're coaching to? And what are the number of calls we think we should be reviewing per rep per month? My guess is less than 15% of your listeners have a solution for that right now. And guess what? That was me for 20 years, which is why I started Replays. And and, and not surprisingly, we, we probably got a lot of uh, folks listening that uh, have worked in companies like you have and I have that are brand names everyone's heard of, high growth organizations. And guess what? It's not just the new emerging startups that are late seed stage that that don't get this. It's some of the brands we've all heard of. And that's okay, right? That's okay as long as we recognize it and and do something about it. That's great. Thank you. That's super helpful. So thank you so much for joining me. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always love to ask two things. So One, what is the one thing about Dave that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Okay. First one, I'll, I guess recency is probably the (laughs) thing here. This, this weekend, I did an adventure race for the first time, five and a half hours up and down a mountain. First, we had to kayak for five kilometers or three, three miles, three, uh, 3.1, three, 3.1 miles or something. And then we had to ori- orienteer ourselves through this mountain up and down. And there were 14 checkpoints we had to hit. And you don't get the map of where the course is until like uh, half an hour before, an hour before. And, uh, and so maybe people didn't know that I, I like running and I'm in, you know, I love doing 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons. This, this one was oh. mountain biking, orienteering, 
running, hiking, and kayaking, and I hadn't been on a mountain bike for 25 years, and I was using the clip-on SPD pedals, and there was a couple <laughs> awful bales, and I hadn't orienteered before. Thankfully, I had a good partner there, but because of my you know, lack of mountain biking prowess, we took the slow route, and it, we didn't know that that diverted us about a half hour to 45 minutes, which I'm used to at least being in the top third of the pack for these kind of for a race. We were bottom third, and so don't but don't mind being vulnerable <laughs> and sharing that. But so that might be, and, and that was a good you know that was informative for me in terms of life too, right? There, when I look at that, I should have prepared mountain biking a little bit more. I should have prepared rowing. I, I haven't done a lot of kayaking. And I should have taken more time to look at that map and think my way through it and probably attached our hitch to people who have gone through or are familiar with those parts. And it just reiterated to me that there's a parallel in sales here. You can have two sales reps with the equal ability and expertise and background, but if you don't take time to be strategic and sometimes go slow to go fast, you're going to spin your wheels and end up being uh, less successful than the other person. And, and I'm going to do a post on that sometime in the next couple of weeks because it, it just, that analogy was screaming in my brain as uh, my legs were freezing up on me in the top of this mountain. <laughs> uh, so that was That's one. That's great. I and, love that. And then, sorry, what was the second question? Yeah. So one thing that you want everyone to know about you, <laughs> maybe it's the same thing. Yeah. I, I think for, for that one, I don't know. I think that's one of those things where my actions speak for who I am more than anything else. So I'll let, you know what, I could say what I want people to think about me. I'd rather they (laughs) glean it from conversations like this, from what my team says about me, from what our customers say. So let's leave that one as uh, you tell me (laughs) what you, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to try and project anything. I, I think it's all about my actions. That's what I'll say on that. That's awesome. Well, I love that. So thank you so much for joining me, Dave. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. And before we recorded, it was so much fun with you too. <laughs> that, that was pretty fun. That was, that was oh. an adventure in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I'm so grateful for your time. And thank you for sharing your story and just sharing so much incredible advice as well and insights. Thanks, Rosalind. I really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Thank you.